Welcome back to Hunkering Down with Peter Schorsch. I'm your host, Peter Schorsch. Uh, joining me today, um, this is something I've wanted to do more of. Uh, we're obviously recording more podcasts uh, as we go into the campaign cycle. Um, but, you know, I also want to do a little bit of pivoting on two things into policy, some policy notes. Um, and then also, you'll see on FloridaPolitics.com, we're going to be expanding our technology section, um, our business section. So much of that, uh, the intersection between politics and business is where we are at and stuff that we will be writing about now and into 2024. Um, and so uh, our first guest is going to talk to that. Also joining me today, though, is one of our reporters, Jacob Ogles. But let me bring in our guest today, Doug Kelly. Doug is with the American Edge Project. Doug, good morning. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. Where are you based out of? I'm based in Columbus, Ohio. Oh, well then, I mean, that's a nice little spot up there, right? I mean, that's kind of like the Tallahassee of the North. I mean, you got the, the <laughs> university town and you got a, a yeah. state capital, right? You do. We, we have everything here and we're within 500 miles of uh, roughly half the population of the United States. So it's a pretty good, pretty good location. I've got some very good friends in outside of Cleveland right now that are, I guess there's some big like roller coaster theme park. Um, and then, mm -hmm. which is interesting because they, they left Florida to go to a theme park, which I, 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 I was like, you know, we have like this stuff over here in Orlando. Um, Jacob, how are you this morning? Oh, I'm doing good. Excited Jacob. to be here. I'm hunkering down with Peter. I, so, Doug, so you know, I started hunkering down. We've got a couple of different podcasts. The most popular one is the one I do with my wife. Uh, he said, she said, and that's just basically my wife busting my chops for 45 minutes. And oh, people yeah. just, they just love that. They love um, listening to that. And I started hunkering down during the pandemic just because we literally were hunkering down. Um, and I did just podcast after podcast because you know what else did anybody have to do uh we were watching tiger king uh great uh the the mj or mj documentary the last dance mm -hmm. and then i promised i was going to bring it back for uh the campaign cycle and now we started it back up about two months ago and have been um doing some rapid fire there so we're still hunkering down i don't know that we are really hunkering down but like i'm reading about the b5 variant and i think maybe we will be hunkering down. So um, that's the name. Of, that's why we have such a weird name for this podcast. I might have to change that up. Um, Doug, give us a little background about who you are and the um, AEP, the American Edge Project. Sure. Uh, so my name is Doug Kelly. I've spent most of my life in advocacy, whether it's in politics or for technology. Uh, for six years, I ran the Make-A-Wish Foundation uh, of Ohio, Kentucky, and Indiana. Uh, it was an incredible job, and uh, I just want to give a shout out to Disney because they grant roughly half the wishes um, for kids who have life-threatening illnesses, and they do an amazing job. So we're really grateful for that partnership um, with Disney. Um, but after six years, I was like, you know, I want to do some, uh, I want to get back into the advocacy area. Um, and for me, growing up in Michigan, where I saw the manufacturing base devastated in many ways based on decisions Congress did. Uh, I saw the same thing happen in technology, and I said, hey, I got to get in this game here. Uh, and so what the American Edge Project does 
is we advocate for American technology and talk to people about the importance of innovation and American technological leadership across the globe and let people know that there's a lot at stake and we can make decisions here in this country that either keep us in the leadership role or demote us to second place behind China. American Edge is pushing for to keep America number one in technology and innovation. I, uh, I, I, we love the shout out to Disney here. We're huge Disney. Uh, I'm a huge Disney um, fan. I think Jacob is too, because he's got kids now that the kid that age, right? Oh yeah. I mean, Disney is our vacation spot. We have a DVC unit. It, 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 it's way too much of our money goes to the Walt Disney Corporation. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's nice to hear good things about Disney uh, on, uh, you know, just talking politically or talking uh, in general. Uh, I think people, uh, I, I know that there has been a misperception about uh, what that company does and it's, and it's kind of its role as an ambassador for American, you know, throughout the world, like the reason, you know, and maybe that's part of some of the people's problems with Disney is that it is an ambassador that it is, you know, that it is, um, you know, that there is Disney uh, Shanghai, that there is Disney World, uh, Paris, etc. Um, I read all the time about like, I, you talk about that edge. Um, and, and this is, I, I want to get up like a big kind of picture before we get into some of the specifics. It seems like and you tell me if we're wrong, if I'm wrong, but we're maybe five years, maybe not even that much, maybe 10 years, but about five years ahead of the Chinese in some of these categories like AI uh, and quantum computing, et cetera. But it like every time I open up an Axios newsletter, I'm getting warned that the gap is either being closed or they have surpassed us, maybe even in quantum computing that, that they've jumped ahead of us. And that America, you know, I, I've thought a lot about lately, actually, since the Japanese prime minister was assassinated, just because I've been thinking about people forget, like, Japan really tried to make a run yeah. at the United States, you know, during the 80s and 90s that that faltered off. China has made that run. And it, it, it feels like it's not going to fall off the way the Japanese did. Is, and big picture, where are we at? Right. So you're right on saying that we're a couple of years ahead of China in a few technological areas, but in other areas, they're ahead of us. Um, and so I'll just give you a, a larger picture here. Right. So uh, America has the most innovative technology companies in the world. Um, we used to dominate that space. Um, and um, but uh, right now, uh, of the 10 largest tech companies in the world, six are in the U.S., four the balance are in China. Um, and so it is a neck and neck competition. And China's fundamental belief by their leadership, by their communist leadership, is that they believe that innovation is their key to global domination. And so they're determined to wrest away the United States technology edge. And the way they're doing it is twofold. First, they're stealing a lot of our technologies. You'll see a lot of different stories in the newspaper about hacking, about stealing data, about stealing intellectual property. But the second thing they're doing is they're investing literally trillions of dollars in the technologies of the future. So artificial intelligence, five and 6G communications, quantum computing, cyber, extended reality. All of these things have what's known as dual use applications, both for the military and for the civilian commercial side. Um, and this is where the battle 
is being fought. So whichever country controls those technologies, they will control the future. And at the end of the day, it matters which country builds the future. It matters which set of values builds the future. Hey, can I ask you a question about, um, of course, we have Senator Marco Rubio here, who recently has been pushing against us even welcoming certainly uh, Chinese technology and software into the US. Like, he's got a major problem with how TikTok is effectively allowing the Chinese government to spy on millions of Americans over here. Is the answer to try and stop the access of uh, software that's originating in China, or it, would that be a counterproductive move? I mean, what do we need to do in terms of how we address just the, the, the technology that China is literally marketing in the United States? Yeah, well, I think it really starts with the fact that um, our, the concerns we raise about China are about China's leadership um, and what their political goals are, right? It's not against the Chinese people overall, um, who are victims of a lot of different surveillance campaigns by the Chinese government using that technology. But what we want to make sure is people have their eyes wide open of some of the things that the Chinese government is trying to do with this technology. Their goal is to gather up large amounts of data uh, on people in the U.S. to probe weaknesses, to find potential spies and allies, and to use it as leverage against folks overall. That's why they steal a lot of different databases and mine that for additional information. Some of the applications that they have are able to send data back to China, unknowing to the consumer who might have purchased that product. That's one of the reasons why the United States government said with Huawei, when we were talking about working with them in 5G, they said, this is dangerous. It is sending back information, critical information, to Chinese government. Um, so some of the things that lawmakers are trying to do to stop the infiltration of China's technology, which can be a dual use technology, those are the right things to do. Um, but some of the bills that they're talking about passing in DC would actually force American technology companies to share data back with their Chinese counterparts and would put really onerous regulations and restrictions on our leading innovators, but wouldn't really play this, play, apply the same criteria to our foreign adversary competitors. And so that's what American Edge tries to raise the concern about is like, look, we're the most competitive country in the world, um, but we gotta have our countries fighting without one hand tied behind their back. And some of these antitrust bills in DC would do just that against American companies. All right, so go into that. Doug, first, and I, I do want to drill down on mm -hmm. uh, Florida in a few moments, but give us some of the, what's the rundown on some of these bills? And Jacob, by the way, just so you know, we publish a twice weekly newsletter called The Delegation, um, and it's about Florida's very interesting, you know, very large congressional delegation. So, um, you know, we ha we do track some of this. It has been interesting to track, you know, I, I, I get the feeling you don't you like to be involved in the policy and not in the political as much as we do. But, you know, the one place where Marco Rubio probably deserves a lot of credit is he has been waving the flag about China, uh, maybe, you know, the loudest. And certainly uh, for the last couple of years, he's been probably, you know, a real a responsible China hawk and on the technology. And so we've we've tracked Rubio, but also 
these things have filtered down, especially with the Chinese to our state legislature, which I don't know if you're 100% aware, but like we've passed legislation because we've had, we've had people doing at, at certain health centers, they've had undisclosed contracts with the Chinese government to produce research. Right. Uh, the University of Florida has had issues. So, you know, this is, I, I've thought it was like one of these things where they're just, you know, uh, I don't know, that they were looking for a boogeyman. And it turns out they were mostly right, if not, uh, you know, the local guys were like entirely right about some of this stuff. So taking a step back, what, what, are, what are some of the bills up at the, at the U.S. Uh, or at the congressional level? Right. So uh, the, there's about five different bills at the congressional level and that target American, America's most innovative technology companies. And kind of collectively, they do a handful of things. Some would just outright break up our biggest technology companies. Others would restrict lines of business that they can compete in. Others would restrict how they can compete. Uh, and so others would prohibit them from participating in mergers and acquisitions of smaller companies above a certain threshold. All of these things are problematic because uh, technology isn't just another sector of our economy. It is the very backbone of our national security, of our economic prosperity, and also the advancement of our values. And so if you think of kind of technology as a spine that runs through every single thing our country does, you don't go into spinal surgery willy-nilly, right? You figure <laughs> out what, what exactly is the challenge here that we're trying to address? And some of these bills just do not uh, address the problems that some on the left and the right have with technology. Um, and secondly, they would really cripple America's ability to innovate, which gives us that competitive edge over China and other adversaries. So a couple of these bills are working closely uh, to get to the floor and they're debating whether they pass them into final version or not. And we're saying these bills would fundamentally harm America's ability to compete and hand a permanent edge over to China. Well, I wanted to ask you, because here in the state of Florida, we've talked about issues like data privacy. We've talked about issues, a lot of things where the state government has really gone head to head with big tech on some of the things they want to do with the access of personal data. Um, there's been pushback from business groups like Florida Tax Watch in the state of Florida. Uh, but can you tell me what impacts some of these things that maybe aimed at uh, cause a lot of people celebrate like personal yeah. data privacy, what impact could that have on innovation in the digital industries? Right. Let's just start with tech's footprint in Florida. It's enormous. Florida is a great example of a state that is doing many right things to accelerate innovation, right? So technology overall, $78 billion impact on the state economy, hires over 600,000 employees in that state alone. And one of the things that it does is, you know, Florida has 3 million small businesses. Um, the vast majority of these small businesses use some portion of American technology's suite of tools, whether it's Facebook for advertising and awareness, Google for search and ads, um, you know, even LinkedIn for their own profile, um, they use it to build their business, find new customers outside of the local markets. And upwards of 75% of Florida businesses reported that these technology tools that were made by American companies helped them endure and survive the pandemic. 
So there will be federal legislation that gets passed that hurts America's technology company. It's going to hurt small businesses in Florida. Uh, the secondly piece on your question about privacy policy. Look, American technology companies are not perfect, right? There's things that's got to be fixed. The problem is that none of these bills fix them. But the one thing you're raising about a federal privacy policy, that's the right approach. Because if you're a business and you're trying to navigate 50 different states, very different privacy policies, well, that can be a really big headache. But if the federal government passed a privacy policy that made clear, here's what your data is, here's how it's protected, here's what they can and can't use it with, boy, that would give clarity to the companies, that would give reassurance to people about their data. And that's a positive step that Congress could do in terms of um, making sure the pain points where tech and society and politics hit, that's something positive they could do. You know, uh, and Peter mentioned the universities that we have a second ago. I've heard a lot of consternation through the years in the business community about the fact that we still provide the greatest education in these innovative fields of anywhere in the world to the point where all these Chinese companies are paying for people to come over to the United States and, and get an education here. Students come in from India, students come in from all over uh, Asia and, and major tech areas to get an American education, grab that degree and then head right back overseas and potentially work uh, for companies that are in direct competition with American industry. Yeah. Is there anything that needs to happen in the education field to, to make sure that we're not simply exporting our knowledge and innovative abilities uh, around the world? Uh, and is any of this legislation potentially going to push more of that knowledge outward rather than retaining the, the edge that we have with just straight up knowledge and education? Yeah, I would say that uh, one of the keys to America's innovation success has been inviting everybody from around the globe to come get educated at our universities and then showcasing America's freedoms, America's opportunities so that they want to stay here and not go back. Right. So mm -hmm. that way we it's a net brain gain for the U.S. in some of these curious. Certainly some will go back to their countries and uh, help develop technologies there. But the more we can bring in, uh, America sells itself on who we are and our freedoms and our values. And then when these kids get over here, they're like, man, I'm actually able to speak freely. I'm actually able to do all this. Um, so we want to uh, train as many people as possible um, to be engineers, to be programmers, to be really innovative thinkers, because a huge percentage of them are going to stay here. And that's going to benefit our country overall. Can you drill down on, all right, so we're talking about like big countries and we're talking about, you know, important legislation. Let's talk about the other side of this, the kind of the consumer or the voter side of it. Yeah. Do you have, what is the perception of tech here? Because it's something, it's very interesting to me. And I know, again, this is caught up in the politics, but it, it was like 20 years ago and Apple's still this way. These companies were, um, they were idolized. I mean, it was literally like, I remember there was a movie with uh, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon uh, talking about, you know, it was dogma and it was talking about Disney and things like that. And these, there was uh, like literally like a joke about, uh, uh, you know, you saw the false idolatry. Um, mm. That is 
we're nowhere near that anymore. Now, like, like tech companies have somehow, and especially as we, like, I think about just this week, um, uh, and I love Uber and I use it and I was an early adapter and I boost them all the time, but you got the Uber papers being released by the Guardian and another consortium mm -hmm. of big newspapers. And then I don't even know what Elon's doing with Twitter, um, but it's, it's kind of like, I don't want to say scary out there, but the public perception of tech in general has completely shifted. So where are, are the voters at? Are they still defending tech? Are they worried about China on tech? Uh, is, is the idea that China is using tech against us or other foreign countries against us? Uh, is that changing perceptions of technology? You know, do you have any numbers on that? Yeah, yeah it's a great question. Uh, so the polling a really long that, one. <laughs> <laughs> well, the polling shows that uh, America's trust in all institutions uh, has declined over the last several years, right? Whether it's Congress, the presidency, the Supreme Court, or other things like that, including corporations, all of those have went down. Um, but I will say that what we see from the polling is is two things. One, uh, the belief and trust in Americans in technology is far higher than the Supreme Court, Congress, the presidency, or the whole political system, right? People understand that technology is a critical core part of their life. The second piece I would add on that is that um, when you ask people what their priorities are of what they want Congress to address, they're very clear. They want inflation addressed. They want gas prices knocked down. They want supply chain issues fixed. They want crime to go down. And they want critical issues in healthcare and education to be fixed. They're not clamoring to say, we want excessive regulations on our tech companies. Mm. So it gives China an advantage. That is not on anybody's radar um, who's an average voter, right? Whether it's in Florida, whether it's in Michigan, whether it's in Ohio, wherever, pick your place. Um, that's not what voters are saying. Voters are saying they want the real pocketbook issues addressed. But unfortunately, some in Congress are pushing hard to say, you know what? There seems to be a lot of stuff broken in our country. We're going to take the one thing that's working and we're going to break it. <laughs> that That's not what anybody's asking for. Um, so that's what we're warning about. It's like, look, there's a lot of unintended consequences when it comes to excessive regulation of technology. There's smart regulation of technology, but then there's excessive regulation of technology, which is going to hurt the industry, hurt America, and advantage our opponents. All right, so we've diagnosed the problem. I mean, beyond the bills, what what are the um, if you could if it, if, it, if it was Doug's world, what are we doing first thing tomorrow? What are we doing next week? And this is a long term battle, clearly. I mean, this is, mm -hmm. you know, it's the things that we don't know that we don't know that are going to be that are around the corner. So what does it look like tomorrow, next week, next year and going in five years? Yeah. Well, I'll start a little bit with my origin story that I started this conversation with, right? So I'm from a small manufacturing community in Michigan, um, and we could graduate from high school, get a great job, um, and, you know, uh, put our kids through college without a college degree. But unfortunately, there were some things that Congress passed that really devastated America's manufacturing base. Um, now, they swore that that's not going to happen. It's just going to help uh, grow jobs. But in reality, 5 million manufacturing jobs disappeared from 2020. Um, those are jobs were exported to China. 
Um, and so when we talk about Doug, unintended consequences, back, um, yeah. How many jobs? How many jobs we lost? We had five a million. Five million manufacturing jobs were lost. Um, and uh, so what happened is that many of them were exported to China. And so when we talk about real and unintended consequences of legislation, that can happen in technology as well, right? So some of these bills may pass and they can damage our various innovation ecosystems that we have in places like Florida or other regional areas. Uh, it can hurt the ability to generate capital for startups. So it's harder to create and launch startups. Um, and it can hurt our biggest technology companies who are creating innovative products and hand that market share over to China. So those are things that we are raising the alarm about. I would say that if we could do things overall, if it was Doug's world, um, number one is have Congress tackle the things that matter most in people's lives, right? Like I said, supply chain, inflation, crime, healthcare, education. And the second piece is, is they consider bills that affect technology to really do a national security assessment of what are the implications of those bills on our country's ability to defend itself. Um, that analysis has not been done with these set of bills. There hasn't been a single hearing on the national security implications of these anti-technology bills. And so for me, job one is to really understand with clear eyes what could happen if we pass these things. I wanted to ask you something because, and you touched on this a little bit, how many jobs big tech companies have outsourced? I mean, I can't help but wonder if some of this is a self-inflicted wound by the tech industry. Uh, why have they sent so many jobs to China? Why hasn't there been more of a concerted effort internally without the strong hand of government kind of twisting their arm to do it? to make sure these manufacturing jobs are here. I mean, it does strike me uh, politically, manufacturing once ran politics in mm -hmm. Ohio, in the Rust Belt. And that's really largely because so many people's jobs were dependent on it. You couldn't just ignore, <laughs> no one from Michigan could ignore something that hurt Ford. Right. You know, it would just be too economically devastating to the state. Um, it, maybe that maybe people don't feel the same way when Apple may have a team of engineers sitting in California, but they're creating all of their iPhones in a factory over in, in China. So to what degree is is there a, a responsibility to have that manufacturing taking place here in the United States? Right. So, you know, I think at the end of the day, right, companies are going to do what they can do to maximize their profits. But the government's job is to make sure that we're doing those policies that give us the level of security that we need. That's why some of the bills to bring back and reshore manufacturing of critical technologies back to the U.S. are so important. For example, just a couple months ago, Intel announced that they were opening a $20 billion microchip manufacturing plant here right here in Columbus, Ohio, just north of where I'm at. Like that's a that's an enormous important thing because microchips are one of the things that 70% of them are made in Taiwan. Taiwan sits just a few hundred miles off of China's coast and China is really covetous of Taiwan. So if China for some reason invaded there, that would cause a global challenge uh, if they decided to restrict 
semiconductors. So by building and creating incentives for more production of critical core technologies here, uh, that's something that Congress can do and should do right away so that we are not making ourselves dependent on any uh, foreign circumstances that can suddenly change overnight. Um, and so that's one of the things that we also advocate for is to make sure that we're building critical core technologies here. We want to be number one in technology, and also we want to build more of our technology here too. And of course, nothing in an economy is just existing in a vacuum or a silo completely on its own. I, I know uh, your folks had sent over something about the repercussions this has even on something like public pensions for our public employees here in Florida. Can you talk a little bit about why, why this doesn't just affect you if you're a, a computer nerd or you work in the tech industry, but this could affect everybody in Florida? That, that's a great point, Jacob. So uh, one organization did this analysis and said, okay, um, let's take a look at if these bills, if these anti-innovation bills were passed, what, what would be the impact on your average person? Um, well, one thing they looked at was public pensioners. So teachers, firefighters, cops, nurses, their pensions are heavily invested in technology stocks. Um, and other kind of leading edge um, companies. Well, these bills not only would start and hit the technology stocks first and depress their rate of return, but legislation of Congress also has a way of expanding into other areas. And there's a lot of different sectors of business that aren't technology, but are close to the limitations that would sweep them up into the qualification for some of these anti-innovation bills. So when they did all the numbers, they looked and said, you know what, Florida, stands to lose $4 billion in their total pension value during this time. That's going to hit a million pensioners in Florida who are teachers, firefighters, cops, and the average loss is going to be more than $4,000 in pension savings for a individual person. That's a big deal. And so those unintended consequences, both on the short term of hurting small business and their ability to use American technology tools in Florida, the longer term things of hurting uh, pensioners in Florida, and then the overall one that uh, that affects our entire country with advantaging China in the race for the technology of the future. You know, those are three pretty powerful reasons that Congress should slow this down and take a look and say, okay, let's actually map out all of our unintended consequences that could happen and make sure that we're protecting our national security. Can you tell me, I know there's been a concerted effort by leaders in Miami to try and spur the technology industry here. Um, who are they competing with? Are they competing with uh, Silicon Valley or are they competing with uh, the Shenzhen province at this point? You know, what, what, yeah. what is it that, that uh, we are, are really trying to build those tech industry jobs here in the state of Florida? Yeah, this is... Uh, this is America's competitive advantage, right? So even China's President Xi says that innovation is their weakness, and they're trying to do everything they can to create innovation there. But you can't really command and control innovation. That's not how innovation works. Innovation happens when you have the right to express yourself, when you have certain freedoms, when you have groups that come together. And what Miami and other parts of Florida are doing great 
is they're creating innovation ecosystems where they have really smart entrepreneurs who have great ideas. It's fed from a really strong university system that's churning out engineers and programmers and uh, other business types to help kind of feed that need. Then it's combined with people who have capital and want to invest in local startups, be technology or healthcare or otherwise. Um, that Those are three critical elements, the ideas, the talent, and the capital coming together. But underpinning all of that is a federal legal and regulatory system that tries to maximize returns for each piece of that triangle. And some of these bills in DC they're talking about would fundamentally change that underlying uh, regulatory and legal infrastructure that the federal government has to create innovation all around the country. So if you change that piece of the equation, it's gonna hurt every single city and region in the US who's trying to spur innovation. We sometimes hear about the cost of labor. Uh, of course, Florida just had a um, increase in its minimum wage, one that's gonna be phased in over years. I know there's talking uh, about wages all the time at the federal and state levels all across the state. And we are dealing with inflation right now. Uh, can you tell me, is there anything with economic policy that Florida or Congress should be doing? Yeah, well, I'll say, I can't speak to specifically what Florida should do on wages, but I will say this, that the more technology jobs Florida can create through innovation ecosystems, through incentives, through uh, public-private partnerships, the better the state's going to be because those jobs on general in oh, between to. 60 and 70%, you're building wealth, you're building opportunity. Is this exclusively high wage jobs? I mean, I know one interesting thing when I've covered tech companies is they aren't just hiring high level engineers. Are we talking about the potential for a lot of working class oh, uh, yeah. level jobs? Yeah. That's a great question, Jacob. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So if you think about uh, Facebook, Google, Amazon, all these folks have data centers in a lot of different states. Well, somebody's got to build those data centers, right? So the building construction trades in Ohio are gonna have a lot of work going forward building this Intel facility. They had a lot of building uh, going on when they built a Facebook data center and a Google data center here. So every piece of the economy in a state benefits from the location of um, a tech fabrication plant or even a new tech business. These are the, you know, the restaurants that are around there, the service, workers, these are dry cleaners, these are people who build the facilities. There's an enormous ripple effect from technology that hits every part of a community in a positive way. Is there any policy that people ought to consider that maybe isn't going anywhere in, in I mean, we've talked a lot about some of the bills that can really dampen and uh, soften the potential of innovation in the United States. Is there anything that can be done to actively spur it that our lawmakers need to be looking at? Yeah, sure. So uh, my organization, the American Edge Project, we developed a full uh, uh, economic plan to accelerate innovation across America. Um, people should go check it out. Policymakers should go look at it. It's on our website, theamericanedgeproject.org. Um, and you can find that economic policy there 
And there's a lot of different things that we suggest that can help accelerate innovation. Um, I'll just give one example, right? So um, a lot of states, uh, so a lot of states do hundreds of billions of dollars in uh, contracting for IT services. Um, and sometimes they make it really hard in states. I don't know about Florida's rules, but sometimes they make it really hard for veteran uh, women and minority business owners to get um, a decent chunk of those contracts. Well, the federal government can help smooth those uh, by having incentives. They can help accelerate states' ability to plug more of those types into uh, getting some of these state-based contracts. But also states on their own can lower the bar on that as well because that builds wealth, that builds opportunity, and it creates new jobs in communities all across that state. So that's one example of what uh, lawmakers can do. The second example would be to create additional incentives like they're talking about now in Congress to make sure that more of our critical core tech manufacturing comes back to this country because we can't have it overseas. Uh, the pandemic has exposed so many challenges in the supply chain that the stuff that we need most, right? Your average car takes thousands of microchips. Let's make sure we're building that here. Okay, I, I wanted to ask, uh, you know, we've seen in politics a real effort to capitalize the attacks on institutions that you referenced earlier. We've seen uh, lawmakers and our governor in particular kind of pushing against major corporations like Disney, uh, pushing against Twitter, pushing against Facebook. That seems to be at least... Uh, would drive some of the populist seal behind some of the legislation we're talking about. But you also showed some polling from your organization that, that indicates maybe the public is more on the side of tech than you might think from the rhetoric that's out there. Can, can you tell me about that polling and about where the American sentiment is on what we need to be doing in terms of reining in, yeah. spurring big tech? Yeah, that's a great, uh, that's a great point. Um, so uh, people feel like things are broken in this country uh, and they're frustrated by it, right? And, and elected officials are as well. Um, and so one of the things that our polling showed is that the number one issues that people want addressed by their lawmakers are cost of living issues, healthcare issues, pocketbook issues on education and making sure that the streets are safe. They want those addressed because they feel the direct from that each and every day. Um, the second part of that is that when you give them a choice between um, candidates who would restrict technology or take care of their priorities, 80% of voters say, I wanna vote for a candidate who's gonna take care of our day-to-day -day issues and not just target tech with restrictive uh, regulations. Um, so it's also a winning issue. We, we did polling in key battleground uh, districts that are gonna decide who the, uh, who, which party controls the majority going forward. And in each of those districts, we found that an overwhelming majority of voters want uh, to protect American technology, want to address the day-to-day -day issues they're struggling with, and they will vote and reward those candidates who do that and have those priorities, and they will punish those who don't. So at the end of the day, just from a party's own self-interest, 
they should really address the issues that people care about of supply chain, inflation, crime, and healthcare, and not go around targeting tech companies because that's not where people are at. And that transcends political party, right? hundred percent. Both Democrats and Republicans and independents are all in on solve the problems that we have today and help us build the technologies of the future. Um, and again, this, the technology of the future, when I talked about those earlier, of artificial intelligence, 5G, quantum, these, these don't just have military application. So Florida is an enormous agriculture state. Um, when you combine 5G, the ability to reach across a lot of different space with high-powered broadband, with artificial intelligence, that can fundamentally transform farming because now you don't look at something as a field or a entire grove. You're looking at individual trees and individual parts of trees, and you're treating them with specific pesticides or specific fertilizers um, on a very micro level. That's something we couldn't do in the past. So artificial intelligence and these technologies of the future are gonna transform so many different other economic sectors like agriculture, like livestock, like um, you know, name, name your industry. Um, and so whichever country develops those first has the ability to sell them then to the rest of the world and reap that economic benefit. So do we want that to be us or do we want that to be China? I know my, I know my pick because when we sell that, when America sells that, part of our values goes out to those other countries as well. Our openness, our transparency, our democratic values. Whereas China will sell it and use it as a tool for surveillance, right? We need to make sure that America is winning that race and not China. Excellent point. Well, hey, Mr. Kelly, thank you very much for talking to us here. Uh, thank you. For, yeah, we, we're very interested in everything you're talking about here, Florida politics. And uh, thank you very much for talking to Hunkering Down. Um, yeah. And I'll add one thing for your audience. Um, they have a stake in this too. And so they can, the way they can get involved in this, they can pick up the phone and call their elected representatives and senators in DC and say, hey, we want to make sure you're helping innovation, not hurting uh, innovation. So please don't pass anything that would damage innovation. They're, you know, uh, DC's a, a thousand plus miles away, but they'll listen and it'll matter. All right. Well, hey, thank you very much, folks. This thank was Doug Kelly uh, talking to us here at Hunkering Down. And thank you very much for listening to our podcast today. Uh, thank you and uh, good luck with uh, talking to lawmakers on, on your journey and advocacy. Thank you. Thank you.